Ha, <laughs> we here. Big fish shit. Ooh, ooh. Welcome to the podcast. Hope y'all enjoy it. Hope y'all learn something. And most importantly, we hope y'all elevate. Let's get uh-huh. it. Big fish, hit a big lick. We gon' bet it right back and hit a big flip. We been up for a minute and we still lit. Get them cats going top, but we don't feel shit. We just giving y'all gems y'all can live with. Elevate your mind, never mind all the bullshit. Finna talk about stocks, we ain't worry about ops. First get the bread up, then buy back the whole block. Ten toes down, we ain't never gonna stop. I'm a man of my word, I ain't never gonna flop. If I said it, then I meant it. Real ones gonna respect it, and it's still OG. It's in me, I'm represented. We're back. So, of course, we have the lovely Dr. Shaga DeNoble on, as well as a new person sitting on the couch with her. Not really sure who he is. No, but this is Dr. Pete DeNoble, who happens to be Shaga's husband. So this is, uh, you know, Pete was in the corner, kind of just listening to the conversation that we had. Uh, He was texting me certain questions to ask, you know, just joking. But but um, no, uh, it's. When we took a break, we started to talk about different topics and everything that we were discussing was more geared around your foundations Mm -hmm. and how they've shaped you to become who you are, to have a successful relationship, a successful marriage, um, be successful parents, to be a successful doctor, all these different things that you're able to balance so well. It seemed that it was all rooted in your Baha'i faith Mm -hmm. upbringing. So... Pete, we wanted you to share your kind of experience because I know you have a unique experience. You did not grow up Baha'i, but we'd love to hear, you know, how you came to be a part of the Baha'i faith. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I didn't know about the Baha'i faith until I was in medical school and I met Shaga. And um, at that point, it was like, okay, I've never heard of this religion. Uh, I'm not sure why I hadn't heard of it. Um, it's a fairly new religion and there's not a lot of Baha'is, but um, it was... I guess fortuitous that uh, that I met her and, and learned about it. Uh, we, you know, were engaged to be married. We got married. I wasn't actually behind. We had a behind wedding, uh, marriage, um, which isn't, you know, is pretty traditional, but with just some very specific things that we say in the ceremony. But, um, but I, I didn't become a Baha'i until I had I had gone to uh, Haifa um, in Israel for Baha'i pilgrimage, and. Um, I had a chance at that time to sort of take a break from residency and all the craziness of life. And I was like, all right, I'll just come along to support my wife and, and maybe I'll learn something, who knows? And, um, you know, I had actually had a divine inspiration when I was there. That was my, my more like a physical feeling I actually had. But I also had a time to say, like, what is what does this religion really say about life and law, religious laws that it puts forth and uh, really resonated with me and it was different. Um, so, uh, you know, from what I had, heard, I had understood before this, before I was a Baha'i, I, was, I grew up in a, in a Unitarian household, which is sort of like a, almost like, um, uh, it's, it's sort of like, it has a Christian foundation, mm-hmm. but it's much more open in, uh, to learning about other religions and things. So actually I was kind of like primed to get, to become mm-hmm. a Baha'i. Halfway there. Okay. <laughs> I was halfway there, I say. But, um, anyway, uh, so I'd be, I declared, uh, myself to be a Baha'i, you know, shortly, a few months later when I came back from pilgrimage and, you know, I've been continuing to grow and develop and, and, and to learn as much as I can up until today and continue to learn. So, yeah. You mentioned an experience that you had and I want to touch on that because did you not have experiences with your previous religious journey, um, being a Unitarian compared to you having this experience, which I kind of, you know, speaking to you a little bit about it, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is it the fact that it felt real at the time? Like you felt like there was something greater out there. And for the first time, like it was real, like you felt it. I think that one of the things that I, I have maybe not had a chance to develop in my life, um, is the, um, the practice of prayer. Uh, I didn't really grow up doing it at all. I didn't really, I, I still struggle with it today um, in terms of really incorporating it into my life, even though I, I understand academically and intellectually about how important it is. Um, 
but it, it's a routine. It's like going to the gym, right? You go and you, you initially, you don't see results, but as you go more consistently, you start to see and you develop, mm -hmm. it changes who you are physically and in prayer in that case would be, it changes who you are spiritually. And I think it helps you develop. Um, and I'm still trying to um, develop that aspect of myself. But I think, I believe that prayer, if done consistently, and especially from an earlier age, becomes a routine thing that becomes something that you can even experience physically uh, in this material world. And um, and I would say probably the, you know, because I've heard people describe, you know, when they get themselves into a sort of a prayer state or really deeply connected um, with, with God, you feel it in, throughout your, your body. Um, and I'd never really felt that. So I, it, it, at, at that point, when you don't have that feeling in life, you kind of feel like, well, I can intellectualize this or I can read that and mm -hmm. I can just choose and I don't know if I believe this and that. But you're never really guided, not only intellectually, but through a physical through heart. guidance, through, through, mm -hmm. through your heart. The core of religion really is this mystic feeling. I think that's what you're, ref you're referring so, to. Yeah, well, when I was in Haifa, I was visiting, visiting the shrine of Baha'u'llah. Uh, the prophet founder of the faith. And again, I, I kind of was like, I took it as, okay, you know, almost like I'm on a tour, I'm learning about stuff, you know, you know, kind of like anything else, you might go and, and visit a place. Um, and, you know, there everyone's, you know, in, in a really, you know, uh, spiritual place, you know, visiting, visiting the shrine of Baha'u'llah where he's actually buried, the, the prophet founder of a religion. You don't really... You have some of those places, but he's there. I mean, the, the body of, of his body is there, and we and um, and so I'm just sort of walking in, and people are in deep prayer. And again, I'm not someone who has exercised that sort of muscle in my in my life, and so I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna be solemn, be respectful, and sort of put my mind wherever I can get it to, um, say a prayer. But uh, and then I wasn't even in that like trying, and I had this. Um, experience where I, I just felt like uh, this almost like this flush like almost it moved, it moved me to tears and I mean I was just like overcome with this this like feeling of um, warmth and, and almost a love to the point where I, I was I was moved to tears and I, I'm again I'm coming at this like I'm just here for, for the you know for the the sights and sounds and stuff, and I'll try to be respectful. And, and I, I personally was overcome by by this this immense love and um, feeling, physical feeling, which took me back. I was like, well, "This is this is real. This is something that." And I was not like trying to whip myself up into something deeper. It just happened to me, and so that changed my mindset about you know re almost religion in it itself. I'm like, there's a there's a deep spiritual foundation. This is not just sort of an organization for society to follow. It's, it's that, but it's deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And so I had that experience. And then when I came back, I kind of just, I reflected on that experience. And I, honestly, I have not had that feeling again to that uh, intensity. Uh, again, probably because when I got back, I got back into residency. I got back mm -hmm. into, um, you know, our, our material world of, of trying to become a doctor and building a practice and, becoming, you know, the best surgeon I can become. And, you know, to my detriment, probably, I I've, I've haven't, you know, developed that as much as I could. But, I, but I've but um, i maybe developed a little bit slow, slower. But I have developed as a Baha'i mm -hmm. since that moment. And I became a Baha'i and have been hopefully, you know, um, you know I, I feel like I've developed a lot of qualities that I think are hopefully helping my relationship my children and other people yeah, around me. And yourself. And myself. I, I hear a lot of um, connections to even what we were discussing earlier when we were talking about providing guidance. I know we were talking about providing guidance to our kids. Right, Obviously, right. that's not your child. Um, yeah. But you kind of had the foresight to see, I'm not going to be able to push somebody into no. a religion no. or a spirituality, but you just provided the environment and you came with an open mind to where you didn't necessarily feel that you had to either push it away or take it on. And you were just open-minded to kind of accept a, a certain energy. Yes. Because that's when, when you talk about like the divinity, like that yeah, feeling, yeah. Um, 
to me, it's almost an energy inside mm-hmm. of us mm-hmm. that I'm assuming that may have been what you feel. Like we, we get these, we go through these certain moments in life where we just feel like there's something else moving us or yes. something else, a part of us that we can't really explain, mm-hmm. but we just kind of look at the environment around us and understand like, okay, there's something here. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, you know, how was it right. from your perspective to grow up in the Baha'i faith to now have your husband mm-hmm. with this experience that you could, there's nothing you could have done no. to make him feel that experience, right. but he just had to feel it himself. So how was it for you before? And then how was it for you as he had the experience himself? Well, I mean, first of all, I, when I, we got married, he wasn't a Baha'i and I didn't uh, have any expectations. Because really in the Baha'i phase too, we don't really distinguish like people who are Baha'i, people who are not Baha'i. It's, um, we're all on a spiritual path, whether that individual person even accepts it or realizes it. Every human is on a spiritual path because we're spiritual beings. So whether you're exercising it or not, living in this world, uh, we're, all, we're on a spiritual path. We're all at different points. So to distinguish... It's not really, it's our human nature to distinguish and categorize people. So I tried never to do that. Um, and I didn't expect him to like become a Baha'i or to embrace the Baha'i faith as, you know, his, his faith. But, you know, I wasn't surprised that he had this experience. Um, I've had it myself. I think anyone who's been in a prayerful state, if you're really in a prayerful state detached from any expectations of anything, detached from the physical even if it's a minute long, you, we are open, our souls can be open to this divine inspiration, divine knowledge, you can call it, that's a little bit of it's imparted on us. So I'm not surprised that he had that experience, right. but, but I'm happy that he is growing on this spiritual path. And it could be in the Baha'i faith, it could be any, anything really. You know. Mm-hmm. And you both talked about, you started off talking about the principles. We yeah, were talking about yeah. more the foundation. I want to dive into more of the principles and not what separates Baha'i from other religions, because mm-hmm. we already talked about how Baha'is don't see. I think that's yes. one of the greatest gifts of the Baha'i faith, that it doesn't divide it. You know, it doesn't right. separate. It brings people together. But when it comes to the core principles, I know we spoke about it a little bit mm-hmm. when we took a break, but if you guys could elaborate on those to kind of get everybody to understand. I feel like I have a unfair advantage because uh-huh. I get to talk to you all the time, mm-hmm. but I think... Uh, everybody else would benefit tremendously if they hear more about it, the principles, the foundations of it. Right. So uh, we mentioned earlier, you know, one of the basic concepts of the Baha'i faith is that all religions really are one. The other concept is that there's one God. So no matter what you call the God, if you believe in multiple gods, as in some religions, it's we believe it's all the same divine essence that we will never really understand as human beings because we are the creation. So we'll never fully understand God, but that we know of God from these different religions that bring the knowledge of him to us. Um, And then also the other big concept in the Baha'i faith is the oneness of humanity, that all of humanity is really one human family. And we are now at the, for the first time in human history, at the point where we can actually bring that into reality, that we're all one, and that will look in many, look different in many ways we'll have true once we embrace that we'll function differently our goals as human beings and as societies will be different when you really really internalize this concept of one humanity that we're all one human family there is no inferior group to another or superior group to another and that our cooperative existence and not just tolerance but really integrated cooperative existence is what's going to propel humanity forward and it continue to help us advance so that's a huge concept. So the teachings of the Baha'i faith are aimed to help us as individuals and as groups achieve that oneness. So once we have that oneness and unity, then we'll have this heaven on earth that previous religions talk about, creating this kingdom of God on earth. As Baha'is, we see that us coming together in a unified manner with justice being the foundation and truthfulness being the foundation of all of our human interactions and entities and not materialistic pursuits mm-hmm. so some of the teachings of the baha'i faith aims to help bring us as individuals and as groups to this concept of oneness um some of the concepts are the, the need for elimination of all sorts of prejudices all sorts of prejudices um racism being probably the the biggest and most destructive one um the uh equality of women and men that we talked about um 
the, the uh, independent investigation of truth is another spiritual principle in the Baha'i faith that is in a responsibility of every individual. That you have to investigate, each of us has to investigate truth independently. We try to detach ourselves from our parents, from the media, from even what our religion told us necessarily, and think independently and try to come to the truth which is really absolute independently. As an individual person, you, you look into it, you don't just follow blindly. Um, the harmony of science and religion, also the Baha'i faith teaches that science and religion, uh, even though society tells us they're in opposition, that's not true, that reality is really one, and religion and science look at reality from different lenses and different perspectives. Wow. And they describe different things, and that really they are looking at the same thing. Okay. So that's another big principle yeah. in the Baha'i faith, which all I loved as a, as a doctor, as a, someone who was into science, that, I, that spoke to me greatly. Because when you hear about science or Scientology, like right. I don't know anything about it. I uh -huh. just know, like, hear like Tom Cruise or something. Like, you hear a random celebrity mm -hmm. do something, and you don't know anything about it, but that's your understanding of it. Mm -hmm. And I just know that it opposes a lot of, you know, people who I hear standing up against it from a traditional religion perspective. Right, right. You just discussed the first thing that I have to chime in on, uh -huh. even before we get to the science and the religion but the independent study. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think we should not only apply that with religion and spirituality, but in school and learning anything. Totally. Because how can we, it's, it's indoctrination versus learning, indoctrination yes. versus education. Yes. Um, we learn by asking questions, by trying different things, by challenging certain things. Mm -hmm. I think that we learn, Absolutely. whether that's us challenging our thoughts internally mm -hmm. um, or us challenging concepts. Um, so I don't think that, to, to me, that's freedom, you know, right. compared to like an oppressive, you know, religion where it's just like, this is what you're going to learn. This is what you're going to do. Nobody's really going to follow that. Nobody's no. going to be able to embrace that because you don't even understand it. Right. So can you talk more about the independent, what was the term? Independent, independent investigation independent of investigation. truth. And you're right, it doesn't apply just to religion or spiritual truth, but everything. Um, the concept that as individuals, again, it goes back to the nobility and the capacity. We don't need someone to tell us what to think blindly. We are, as individuals, we have the capacity, we have such a high capacity now as human beings that we can look into things Try to look at it detached. So a prerequisite for that is detachment. Detachment for what you think is right, necessarily, or what you've been told in the past. You have to try to remove all the veils that might be between, you know, in front of your eyes and really purely look at anything, whether it's science, whether it's spirituality, anything that you're questioning, you have to look at it independent. Try to be as independent as possible. Um, so as Baha'is, for example, yes, my family were Baha'is, I, was, I never grew up thinking, okay, my parents are Baha'i, I'm automatically a Baha'i, for really? example. Yeah, yeah. So we are, I was raised in a Baha'i household, but that is up to me. And my parents um, should love me the same no matter what I, what I choose. So I knew that I wasn't going to be like shunned by my community or my family if I chose a different path. But you right? choose. But you choose. I choose. It's the same as marriage, right? right? And that's the, I yeah. choose. And I, but it's also incumbent upon me to educate myself. Mm -hmm. So I understand everything. So I learned about all different religions. I learned about science. I learned about every, a lot of things. And then I came to say, for me, I do believe that the Baha'i faith is the, gives me the spiritual guidance. Um, and I, you know, I, I believe in it in that way, that I chose to follow it. Um, and when you're, it's, and so in the Baha'i faith, the age of spiritual maturity, meaning when you are now spiritually considered a mature adult, that you are now responsible for your own spiritual growth is the age of 15. Prior to that, it's more on the parents to guide the child. But from the age of 15 and on, that's when you can really uh, choose more things for yourself. You, 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 really, you either declare you know, that you're a Baha'i or you... Don't. Or you say I'm not sure, and you, you continue, and you, you know, and you explore it. You're not then a Baha'i. Right. You have your, you know, you're still but along with that, we don't have any clergy in the Baha'i faith. We don't have religious leaders, which is very unique. Every other religion has a a, a religious leader, or a clergy, or a minister, or a priest, or a mullah. And the Baha'i faith, we don't have that. There is no Baha'i on the earth who is above or has more authority over anybody else. And the reason we have that is to preserve. One reason is because we're all capable of of 
of uh, understanding reading and applying things to our, for ourselves. But at the same time, it preserves the Baha'i faith, the religion as one unified religion. It actually prevents it from breaking up into different sects that we've seen in other religions. And it makes sense because the religion has talked about unity and oneness cannot have multiple different uh, uh, forms. So there's not like a religious leader that can say, you know what, this is what the Baha'i faith is how I interpret it, and then you get a bunch of followers. We don't have that, and we have a safeguard against that, which I think is pretty cool. You put the onus of education on the individual yes. rather than being what I would say, not your words, yeah. if you want, okay. want to be clear on that, is a very lazy approach than to just adopt something yeah. mm -hmm. that somebody else is just teaching me and that that's the gospel. Right. right. Um, to me, I always questioned why and i've had this conversation with my parents as well why are you christian mm. why are you this type of christian and you know most of the time when you ask somebody they just say oh well my parents were right and right. that type of thinking spreads across all areas of life whether it's your political group yep. the sport that you play um all these the your interests your hobbies the books you read the books you don't read mm -hmm. It contributes across the board it and does. plays a major role in us not expanding um, beyond our limited, you know, view yeah. just based on, well, I'm only going to do what my parents did or I'm mm -hmm. only going to do this because this person did it. So when you have that responsibility that you place on a child, it does a couple different things. Similar to what you said with the marriage mm -hmm. where you choose. So it gives you the ability to embrace something. I'm choosing this. I'm right. choosing this person. Right. I'm choosing this spirituality. Yeah. Um, where y you think about even choosing a major. Yeah. You probably put more work into exploring which major you choose mm -hmm. rather than your religion or your yeah, spirituality. Yeah, very true. Very true. And that's true. like the most, like when you yes. think about that, yes. like this is how I'm living life compared to just what I'm going to study. Right. And you put more time and effort and energy into what you're going to study that you could just change if you want, right, you know, right, right. rather than what you embrace as your way of life. And you I think it. that's why it waters stuff down where you have a lot of people that say they're Christian or say they're this, but they're not living necessarily based on the principles. You wouldn't no. know based on how they live that they're, right. that they belong to a particular group. Right. They just state it. Right. Whereas you all, I yeah. see you all live it. Yeah, we like, try. I mean, like, no live. one's perfect. But but that's the thing. But that's, I remember being a kid, and my parents would always say uh, that Abdul Baha, who's the son of the Prophet, founder of the Baha'i Faith, he would always say, "A Baha'i child, you should be recognized as a Baha'i, not by saying I'm a Baha'i, but people should see your actions and know, oh, that child must be a Baha'i." So I always knew that growing up, and I'm like, I have to make sure that I strive my best to to uphold all these principles that I'm taught that I believe in, right? So I have to embody them. It's not just to believe I sit in a corner and read a book and pray all day and then I'll put it into action because faith without action is pointless. Don't say you're Baha'i. Show you. Show, show it. Yeah. Work for ending racism. Work for upholding um, the rights of women and children and the underprivileged. Uh, work for um, improving the, the environment so we all can live in a healthy world and not just take, take, take of, of resources. You know, uh, Make sure my, my actions, make sure in my job, right? I, I'm, I'm a business owner. I have like five or six employees. Make sure that I, they don't feel like they're under me, right? That they feel that they have an equal say, they feel respected, and that their worth is upheld. That I'm not abusive at work. Or he's an employer. He believes in equality of women and men. He has to make sure that he doesn't underpay the women compared to the men, for example. Mm -hmm. Or he strives to have diversity in his practice because he believes in that. So you have to put all these things into action. Otherwise, what is faith? Or you're a belief. Your, you're putting yourself on the ground level, it seems like. It has to be action. Rather than, yeah. And that's something that a lot of other religious groups, just from my, I don't, mm -hmm. I've studied a few, but mm -hmm. just my observations, um, the, the not having a clergy, mm -hmm. it's just placing more responsibility right. on you. Right, right. You know, you. Right. You got to do it. You. Putting in the work. I, right. Like, yeah. I'm not, oh, not this passive. is terrible. The pastor said this or this. Oh, well, the pastor will fix it. You know, the pastor. No, no mm -hmm. you're going to fix it if right. you feel strong enough about it. And you're going to take certain action steps to work towards that goal. So that's a huge difference. So, I think. so, so the Baha'i writings talk about being a, I love this word, being a protagonist. Mm -hmm. So we all have to be a protagonist, an active player in our communities. 
And we have that capacity. Now imagine the, that shifts your purpose in life from being the purpose being, I'm just going to build a life for myself that I'm comfortable and I get to enjoy. Who cares what everyone else is doing? Versus now I'm a protagonist. I'm an active participant in my own life, in the direction of the, my life is going, but also in the life of my community. And, how, and, how much purpose does that give an individual? Like, wow, I, I have capacity to be an agent of change in a positive way. And I, I don't know, that also, makes me get up in the morning and want to go out. It's also important, I think, to, to say, while the onus is on you to recognize your inner nobility as a young person and as you develop in life, so that you then feel empowered to investigate truth for yourself, that then allows you to be part of that consultative process, mm -hmm. to, to get the education, the every, everything that would bring the best out of you as, a, as an individual. And, and then, then you become part of this consultative process, which um, the faith talks about as being the sum, you know, which is greater than the individual parts. And what is, you know, getting into that a little bit is something that I've also taken for my own life, not just when I sit in a, um, in a feast, which is a, our 19-day gatherings every 19 days, but beyond that, right? During the work week, when I make business decisions, when I make family decisions, the consultative process is saying, I have this problem or I have this opinion or I have this issue, bringing it to my wife, bringing it to my partners, bringing it to coworkers or whatever the issue and whatever venue it may be appropriate and fielding other people's opinions, empowering them to then give me their opinions without judgment or scorn or anything like that. And then for me, if I'm the, if I'm the sole decision maker, at least I'm taking other people's opinions and making, forming a better, mm -hmm. uh, a better fully formed um, decision yeah. or if it's more of a democratic process if you're in a relationship mm -hmm. that give and take between you yourself and your, your spouse and coming up with a, the best possible product when it comes to your approach to this issue and I think that I think just generally in life that's a great way to approach it but in order to have people around you that can give you the best value for you know, to that process, they have to be empowered and have developed their capacities, be highly educated, see things in a way that um, is sophisticated, uh, you know, I I enough that that they can bring value to the to your life and to others around them. And that consultative process is so important to how we should function as a society, not only on a family or business level, but as a societal level, I think. And so, so going back to like the, the Baha'i faith way is structured, we don't have clergy, but it's not like Baha'is are just kind of blowing in the wind without any structure. There is a structure, and at every structure, it's consultative, as Peter's mentioning. Mm. So for example, we have study circles, right, where we get together, we might um, read different writings and in a group and talk about them. And I always learn so much from everybody else because I hear, see their perspectives, and it gives a deeper level of meaning to the things that I read on my own and a deeper understanding. And I'm like, oh wow, this is what this means actually. And then I apply it differently in my own life. So it's that um, coming together, you know. It seems that you all, the Baha'i faith encourages living the faith rather than believing in the faith. Mm. Um, when you're living it, you don't really have to believe it. It's right. just, this is what I'm in. Right. Right? And right. when you remove the clergy mm -hmm. and you remove leaders that you can depend on you know that crutch when you move that crutch it's like okay mm -hmm. we got to figure this out yeah. and it almost to me like as you guys are talking it elevates the group like a mm -hmm. clergy you know you elevate the leaders mm -hmm. uh, this is an, is an example of elevating everybody Everyone. else because it forces you all to live it it forces right. you to do your independent investigation it forces you to do all that because you all buy into the faith, but you also buy into the fact that there's no, you know, person at the top of this that's just right. leading us, that we can just kind of just fall yep. back and just let them guide us. You all have to kind of play a role yep. in bringing everybody together. That's why, you know, a lot of people, the Baha'i faith is about 7 million worldwide, which is not a lot, right? Although it is the second most widespread religion in the world, meaning it's, it's anywhere in the world. 
It's like in the Christianity. Really? It's like everywhere, yeah. But there's only 7 million Baha'is in the world. Um, but that's part of why it hasn't... Because um, we, don't, we don't have like someone whose full-time job is, for example, to like be a clergy. And we don't force, because it's independent, we don't go to places and say you have to become a Baha'i or, or entice people or try to persuade. It's, it's organic, it's personal, it's a deeper uplifting you're not selling you know, it. we're not selling not it right, right, right. right. talk about other cultures but right. your emphasis is on living it rather than just trying to spread it as fast as possible right you want you want people to come to the Baha'i faith or be inspired or by to it. be inspired by it to embrace right. it rather than you beat it down their throats and just say right. hey like accept this accept this right. accept this it's, a, it's about you know it's that sometimes I think that um we conflate religious um, um, religion with tribalism. Like you got to be part of a group mm -hmm. so you feel comfortable and, 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 you, and you have a community. And, and that's important. Um, but where does religion play? Is it just to bind people together and make them a, a unit within society at large that gives them comfort and structure and, 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 and some positive things? But sometimes that also then puts... With that group at odds with other groups, and, and mm -hmm. then it, it, it thwarts the, the ultimate goal of unity. Whereas, um, if you see each other as, as noble be beings who have the same capacity and, and it's incumbent on each of us, and, and even as an individual to help others understand their capacity, which helps they, them develop their own um, self worth, and it, it just it's a it ultimately spreads in a way that doesn't allow us to be uh, divided. Right. Which so I don't think we see much these days. Right. Yeah. It's the opposite. It's binary. It's a, you're this group, I'm this group. Right. Let's fight. We try to stay from that. Yeah. 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 So, so like the work different. that Baha'is try to do is a community building, which goes back to the family that we talked about. And that's what's missing in a lot of ways in modern society. And it's breaking down in traditional societies is this idea of community and building community. So what we try to, the work that Baha'is do around the world is trying to elevate and help others reach their capacities. So it's going into neighborhoods, for example, and giving this spiritual education to children. Not, not Baha'is. Mm -hmm. And no expectation of anyone becoming a Baha'i. It's using the tools of the faith and the teachings we have that Baha'u'llah brought to us to then do work. Right? Uh, Elevate, a, educate, um, bring... We have something called the Junior Youth... Sorry, honey. The Junior Youth Spiritual Empowerment Program, deferred. which is... For the, that age, like 11 to 14 year olds, because they start to question, they start thinking independently, which is good, but sometimes they can get lost. They try to, like, they start seeing some of the faults of their parents, that they're not perfect, or they start um, going negative against what they're taught, thinking differently, which is a good thing as long as it's, it's guided in the right direction. So there's a whole program worldwide that the Baha'is offer that age group to help them realize that they're fully capable, they can develop all these qualities that can help them become, um, transform the world, which they all want to. I mean, look at like Greta Thunberg, for example. A lot of these young people who have this passion and keen sense of justice, and they see what's wrong with the world, and sometimes, sometimes they get frustrated. We don't want them to feel paralyzed. How do we empower them to now lead the rest of us? I mean, we're telling 12-year-olds to lead us. That's incredible. You have the ability to lead the community to bring change for that next generation, of which they are, it's, it's important for them. We have youth things, um, uh, consultative and, and study, like we're doing now, to help us all think a little bit differently in, in a more enlightened and more elevated manner. And that's really the work of, of what the Baha'is try to do around the world. And I think, you know, just to add to that, is that the idea there is that the goal with, you know, a lot of these programs for the youth and, and, and others, uh, for adults, is not to... Ultimately, the, the, the purpose is not to, to flip them into Baha'is. No. You know, that's not the... The purpose is to instill them with the um, principles of the faith that we believe are the foundation of a better society. Right. So whether or not they... Because they, there's a lot... Honestly, there's a lot of adults um, who've been doing study, Baha'i study circles for years and years are not Baha'i. But right. they probably... Uh, it's transforming them. Exude yeah. more of those and, and display more of those principles in their in their lives than maybe someone who calls themselves a Baha'i. Because culturally it became they just it was easier for them to become a Baha'i and continue the, being a Baha'i. But 
it's a Baha'i is a performative thing. It's not a label or a group that you become a part of, right. and that's it. So um, right. it's really more about um, the action. The action every day. It's yeah, not, every day. It's not on this day of the week. It's not. No, no, right. no. Oh, it's not on a Sunday. Once or you're Friday. a certain age, you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what I'm hearing and feeling from you both, which I assume is part of the Baha'i faith, deals with the word that you mentioned, tribalism. You all, because of your outlook, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. not seeing this group as a part, this religion is not, you know, competing with that religion. That's, you know, our enemy, this other religion. You all see it as we're all, you know, it's one here tribe. together. It's one tribe. Yeah. And it's one God. And it's the iPhone thing. You know, it's right, the iPhone, right, different, right. different series, different um, things at different times that solve different issues at different times. You guys aren't threatened. And I think that right. with a lot mm -hmm. of other religions, because they see it more from a tribalism standpoint, and they we need our numbers to be here, right. or we need this amount of power, when you're not threatened, mm -hmm. then it allows you to just be genuine and just, just teach yes. without any expectation. The same way that you all, when you went on the trip, you didn't have an expectation because right. you weren't trying to convert him. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you weren't trying yeah. to. And I think that if more of us because there's a lot of us, like myself, who get turned off from mm -hmm. somebody trying to sell me on something mm -hmm. as a salesperson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can smell it. You can smell it. I really do. You can smell it, yeah. And especially because when you start trying to sell me on something, yeah. you're giving me a solution, you're saying. Right. Because I don't want to buy anything that's not solving a problem. Right. So you're identifying a problem. You're saying that you have the solution. Now I'm questioning stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're not able to answer certain questions in certain ways then I'm immediately discrediting you and the other Everybody. five people I haven't even met it's right, just because right. they're associated with you yeah. rather than an approach where it's just like, hey, you know, let me share my experience and how I live with you all. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of, you know, take what you want from it. And then we have a discussion, you know, you share your perspective. So I think the, the humility, maybe it's the humility of um, letting your guard down and not mm -hmm. feeling threatened and not feeling that you're comp competing with anybody. Right allows you all to focus on living your faith rather than proving why you're the best religioner and why right, people should right. convert. Mm -hmm. So that's... Because when you yeah. see it all as being all one thing, like it's all one tribe, mm -hmm. there is no other right. to try to fight against, mm -hmm. right? There is no such thing as other. Right, right. That's, what, that's what the oneness of humanity means. We're all in one, one boat. We're the, all The together. other religions teach very important principles. And a lot of them are very similar, similar or the right. same yeah. said in different ways for different times in humanity yeah. in, in its development um, but but two examples that I just to just to kind of bring the idea of what the Baha'i faith espouses which is so um, important is that you like as, as Baha'is we contribute to the Baha'i fund and we but if you're if you're inspired by the Baha'i faith, but you didn't declare yourself to be a Baha'i, so you're not actually officially a Baha'i, you cannot contribute money to the faith. Mm. Really? So you can't fund the faith. If, I, if, if Bill Gates says, I want to give $100 million yeah. or a billion dollars to the Baha'i faith, and he's not a Baha'i, he cannot contribute. So that's one thing to just... Why is that? Because um, it's seen as a, a bounty... And a privilege as a Baha'i to be able to contribute financially to the to the progression of the faith. Um, for example, we have houses of worship that are being built worldwide. And there's many on different continents. There's more being built. Um, we have you know these materials like publishing of the books and all sorts of things that require money. And again, we don't have clergy or anything to raise money from. So as individuals, it is our uh, it's a it's a it's a duty, but it's also a privilege to contribute to the financial. But we don't want that from people who are not Baha'is. And, and I think it allows for corruption, probably. That's that's what I feel you know? because yeah. once it allows you have, for corruption. Because what do people do? You know, whether it's politics, business, religion, people feel that I'm putting this money here so I can gain more control and power in this. Yeah, area. yeah, yeah. It's corruption. So it prevents people from yeah. influencing. Just, right, and it's yeah. just and it's yeah. it's it keeps it grassroots. Right. And it keeps the keeps people, it pure. Yeah. And even no that one person even, at, above another right. person just because they can contribute yeah. a certain amount. Even money. giving to the Baha'i faith as Baha'is, donating money to the Baha'i faith, to the various funds we have, is all, um, it's secret. It's not something published. It's very private. And the amount does not matter at all. 
It is purely a spiritual decision. You decide it for yourself how much I want to give with the idea that you want to be slightly sacrificial, right? You want to give what you think you can, but where you're also giving. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to give like a lot less than I think I can, right? Mm-hmm. But it's ultimately a personal decision. If someone gives one penny versus $100, doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. And you want to give more. Yeah, and one story I love is the house of worship that is in the United States is outside of Chicago. And houses of worship are these um, buildings um, which are all, they all look different throughout the world. They're areas where anyone can come and worship and pray. And they are all unique. They look different. The one in Chicago looks different than the one in India, looks different than the one in Chile. They all look different. However, they all have nine sides to represent the nine major religions of the world. And people of all faith or no faith are welcome. It's open to everybody. It has the symbols of each. It does. The, the symbols of different religions. It has the cross David, and the Star of David. The and, yeah, on the, on the building. Wow. Um, and they're meant to be centers of places people can come worship and be devotional together. Of any faith or no faith. Not exclusive, right? So Not exclusive at all. It's open to everybody. To every human being who we believe are so all inner, have inner ability. The one in Chicago that was being built, so Abdul Baha, the son of the Prophet, founder of the Baha'i Faith, um, in his later years came to the United States. He was able to leave. He was a prisoner his whole life in the um, what's now northern Israel area, but when the Ottoman Empire uh, was was dismantled, I guess what's the word, mm-hmm. the prisoners were freed, including him. So he was able to travel to Europe and United States. He came here. And he wanted to build, he started the idea of building this house of worship in Chicago. And they were having a ceremony, and it was just land at that point, right? Not a structure yet. And different people who were followers of the faith or loved Abdul Baha or loved the Baha'i faith came and wanted to contribute a stone, right? To, to be the first, the cornerstone of this building, this future building. And people brought these beautiful stones and, you know, maybe some expensive ones. And there was an older woman who, brought like just a rock she found. She had no money, no material means. And there was a construction site. She went with a wheelbarrow and she picked just this random stone, put it in the wheelbarrow with a leftover stone at a construction site. And she walked it to the place. And that was the one that Abdul Baha chose because he said the sacrifice and the love with which she picked that stone was what was important. Not so much like whether a stone was expensive or it looked pretty or whatever. And I love that story. And that was that's the cornerstone. And if you go to the building now, it's still there. Wow. You know. Um. It's um, the fact that, like, my question for uh-huh. you all, because mm-hmm. I'm over here surprised. Like, I'm looking like, how do, I guess I'm asking myself, okay. how do more people throughout the world not embrace the mm. Baha'i faith? Because it's so amazing. And because it's so... Um, inclusive but then as I'm asking myself that I kind of feel like well the answer is because it's all those things like because it's Mm -hmm. such a great thing that brings people together it may threaten a lot of negative um, aspects that benefit from people being separate because it's almost like common sense where okay people you know wars are fought over religions you know Mm -hmm. in the or in the name of religions maybe not even over the religion but in the name of religion. So, okay, let's just create something that brings everybody together. It's very simple. It's not like an earth-shattering right. type of concept. However, when you all said it to me, it sounded earth-shattering because it's, it's like the simple thing that we just don't embrace. Like, why wouldn't more people be drawn to that? So, right. I'm not really asking you all the questions. Yeah. Maybe I should be asking myself right. or everybody else in here, but... It's just something that stands out. You're right, though. It requires detachment of some kind. You know, it's, um, you know, it requires detaching yourself from things you thought maybe. Or maybe perceived a loss of power. Mm. Perceived. You know, from, mm-hmm. from the sort of old world order or existing world order of things, power is something you get and you hang on to it for dear life at all costs. Lying, cheating, whatever it takes, keep it. And... That might be good for you, for your short time on Earth, uh, and maybe f- for a generation of your family, but what is that doing for humanity? You know, mm-hmm. Where are we going? We're on this little rock floating through this universe, uh, among other multiverse, whatever, whatever's right. out there. 
So you got to think about like, what's the purpose of all right. this? Right. Is it just to concentrate power for a few years during this time frame that we're here? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that, sure. that might be what our, some of our minds can get ourselves around and we just go for it. But I think it unlocks a lot more when you can think outside of that or beyond that. And it, it brings more love to the world. So it seems that there's, you all are the least insecure group like there's a certain level of insecurity no i'm sorry you are the yeah the least insecure where mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of other groups are just individuals it may, it's, most cases i feel like it's not the 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 individuals or it's not the groups it's the clergy you know it's right, the right. people that are leading that don't want to give up that certain power right because of that insecurity where well that other you know faith or way of life makes a little bit more sense and it brings everybody together but that's going to take people away from me 100%. that's going to take money out of my pocket yeah which it shouldn't it shouldn't be an economy it shouldn't be a factor right. but right. it is it's, right. it's a way of life it's on right it shouldn't be a, right. an economy it mm-hmm. has become an economy and in a lot of ways it's done a lot of good but <clears throat> that's true it's that's threatening not the reason to, to hold on to right right and it's almost so i'm a firm believer that because i've had certain friends that when I was going through my religious journey, mm-hmm. um, you know, grew up Christian, I would say, you know, a Christian, you know, I put quotes around it because you don't even really know what it is. You just know that your parents were that, so that's what you are. Mm-hmm. You go to church, you know, that's kind of is what it is. You don't do a book report on it and right, learn right. about it. You kind of just say, all right, yeah, I'm going to church Sunday. I'm Christian. Uh, so I, I feel that anything worth believing in is worth challenging. Uh, so when I used to have conversations with my friends where they, I'd say, well, if one plus one equals two, like, and they'll acknowledge one plus one equals two, but they, but I still believe what I believe. Mm-hmm. And I tell, I used to tell them not as maybe that I would put it now. I was probably a little more direct, but <laughs> a little bit more, um, not as uh, politically correct uh-huh. or just uh, not nice. Maybe that's the right uh-huh. word. But I would say like, if you believe in that and if it's true, then let's challenge it. Because mm-hmm. if it is standing on something, then when you challenge it, you're going to believe in it even more. Right. But so many people, I don't know why, maybe it's just how we've been indoctrinated. We're scared to challenge certain mm-hmm. things, maybe because, oh, well, that would mean that my grandmother made a mistake in believing in this religion rather than just saying like, no, maybe it was good for exactly. you know that period. But yes. now you continue challenging things to right. figure out new innovative ways to right. solve problems. And see it as like a building upon and not something that's contrary. Again, we think mm-hmm. dichotomously, but the reality is things are not like that. Mm-hmm. So things are building on each other and doesn't mean that something else was bad or wrong, right? It's, interesting it's just too. more information. Right. It's, like, it's science, really. Science is always changing. And people who are not scientists or don't understand science get frustrated with, like, for example, medical care and healthcare. Oh, well, I thought this vaccine was going to be good, but now it's this, and now they changed. Because that's science. You make the best decision giving the information you have at that moment. But that evolves and changes. And it grows. It's the same with religion. It's an interesting tension because before we were talking about the family and the importance of family and marriage and. And in the greater, you know, extended family and how important it is as a foundation of society. So then if someone in the family, say mm. a child, then comes upon, say, the Baha'i faith and decides this is something they want to follow and maybe leave Judaism or Christianity, how do you balance that? How do you, do you, do you create, especially if the, if the, if the family is deeply uh, devoted to, the, to their faith? Mm-hmm. And... How do you reconcile that? I don't know. I don't have an answer, but that's... so That can be a struggle for people, and I think it has, and I know people that that's been a, an issue, but I think as the person making that decision, it's, again, approaching your family in a loving manner, keeping your respect and your love and trying to explain in a kind manner. It's no different, I think, than, say, I have a friend, older woman, and, and she's African-American, her husband's white, Jewish background, mm. and when they wanted to get married, it was a little bit of a, a struggle, right? Um, they're both Baha'is, but uh, her family is Christian, his family is Jewish, and it was a problem initially. For, for his, his mother, for example, didn't want him to marry a black woman and someone who wasn't Jewish. 
And this, the wife continued in her love and devotion and respect to the, to the family. And over time, they were then able to see how wonderful she was. For example, the father was sick, and she would go to the hospital and help take care of him, right? So that is how you, then they started to see her differently, and they, they began to love her. Because nothing can change the world except the human heart. You can think whatever you want about different groups, but once you have that connection and that love, that will wipe away everything. That's true. And that's why even interracial marriages and all these intercultural and all these different things helps create that unity. Because once you have love, once you have people in your home, you open your hearts to people of various backgrounds, no matter what they look like, what religion they come from, that will change. That changes you. That's the quickest, actually, change, the quickest way to overcome any kind of prejudice is the heart and love. So I think if you're that person, for example, you're a Baha'i now coming from a Catholic family, uh, you have to, it's on you to stay elevated, be respectful, and be loving, and show that you're not turning your back on anything or on them. You're just, you're just adding on to what they helped you, what foundation they gave you. And that's, you know? a, that's a developed way to approach it. That's a developed and, way. And I think that the fear, the fear of that family um, conflict mm -hmm. is why probably a lot of people, whether it's going from one religion to another, um, you know, there is that always that little bit you of... You worry that, about that. Like, yeah, yeah I, like, I like that. I would never become a Baha'i or I would never, you know, engage in a lot of these activities, but I respect it and I really like mm -hmm. it. They resonate with me. So there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot of people like that in my life and, and people that we know. But it's interesting, you know. It's a human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I may, I may have been the same way if I knew about the Baha'i faith, but I wasn't married to a Baha'i. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, again, I, don't, I didn't really have a, I didn't feel like religion was how my family was like, that wasn't the foundation of my family. So I think that's when that's the case, it's a lot different. So everyone has their own story and their own journey. Yeah. So... I'm like blown away, even me. So I'm assuming that a lot of the people watching and listening will be, because I've had more exposure to it than I right. assume most people have. Um, but one of the questions that I've never asked you guys, uh, is there a Baha'i book, a mm -hmm. scripture? Yeah. Because that's one of the things that uh, I, I'm over here thinking like, okay, what are some, some ways that we can provide some information outside of the podcast, mm -hmm. outside of this episode on the Baha'i faith to get people mm -hmm. who may be interested um, to, to give them more. kind of just more information, allow mm -hmm. them to do their independent, um, mm -hmm. I'm forgetting the, Inve investigation. doing their independent yeah. investigation. Yeah. And or research. In, independent investigation, investigation of, of truth. truth. Doing their independent investigation of truth yeah. with the Baha'i faith. Right. So, right. so there's, a, there's a great website, there's a U.S. website, Baha'i.us, mm -hmm. so it's B-A-H-A-I. US for USA and then the internet the worldwide website is Baha'i.org so they're great sites and they have links to writings in different scriptures so you brought up a great point of scripture so another unique thing in the Baha'i faith is that Baha'u'llah the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith lived in the 1800s we have his actual he wrote many 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 tablets many and 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 books and tablets and we have his actual writing so we know the word for word exactly what he wrote and he revealed them in either Arabic or Farsi, because Baha'i faith began in the in Iran, and it used to be Persia, and now present day. And Farsi Iran. is is the language in in Iran and other countries nearby. Okay, so that's so a, most yeah. of it was Arabic, but also some in Farsi, and then they have been translated all his writings. So he has writings, and his son Abdul Baha, who he appointed as his successor. So another unique feature of the Baha'i faith: other religions didn't have a clear successor necessarily. And that was a point of division of many religions in the past. For example, Islam broke up into Sunni and Shia sects because of the succession after Prophet Muhammad. So in the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah himself appointed Abdu'l-Baha okay, as his successor and as his interpreter, his only interpreter of his writings. So we have many interpretations that Abdu'l-Baha wrote on things Baha'u'llah revealed. And we look at them as part of the sacred text. And Baha'u'llah says, yes, he can interpret. And we also look to his son as the perfect example of a Baha'i. So we have someone, and he has, there's so many stories about Abdul Baha uh, in the U.S. fighting racism, all kinds of things. Beautiful stories and examples of service. 
um, that we have to follow as, as Baha'is. Uh, and then we have all the Baha'u'llah and Abdul Baha's writings have been translated into many, many different languages. I think 160 languages. Um, or, or maybe... Well, I know it's in 160-something countries mm -hmm. in the world, so in various languages. Right. But that interpretation is also done very carefully into different languages, so it doesn't lose its Slowly. meaning. They're still so we are very, as opposed to other religions, we have the actual writings without manipulation, which is very unique, because it's a newer religion. We have that bounty of having that. So Baha'u'llah has many, many tablets. We have um, prayer books, so various prayers. And we're asked to pray. We're supposed to pray every day. Because that is a natural impulse when you love. You pray for the love of God at its highest form. Sometimes you pray because you want something or you mm -hmm. want help. But the highest form of prayer, we're told, is prayer for the sake of loving God. And there are very specific prayers. Like there's a prayer book with specific prayers. Which right. Are the text. There's prayers for healing. There's prayers for children. There's prayers for pregnant mothers. There's prayers for um, humanity. There's prayers for developing your qualities. Oh God, you know, help me develop these qualities. Uh, and then we have a different kind of prayer called obligatory prayer, which is similar to Islam, which is a, a prayer you have to say every day. Uh, and that prayer is a little bit different. It more um, is, is humbling yourself before God and, and talking to God and, and, and saying God is great and I'm nothing compared to God. So it's a humbling sort of uh, prayer, acknowledging your, 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 that you're a creation of God. And those, just three of them, you pick one that you say every day. And there's other prayers, as he mentioned. Then we have tablets. We have um, writings that talk about all kinds of things. Some are more mystic and talk about these mystical spiritual concepts. Some are more about how to, how to format and structure society, talking about like equality of women and men, um, you know, elimination of prejudices, all these kind of concepts I talked about. So there's so many writings. There's we have a, book a of lot. Laws. There's actually like if you because this is what I, what I did. When He's I was, like, I want to read the book of laws. Read the law book. When I went to Haifa on mm -hmm. the pilgrimage that inspired me, um, I, that's what I was like. All right, there's lots of writings and stuff. Give me. I want to read the laws. I want to know exactly the law what mm -hmm. the you know what mm -hmm. are the boundaries of this thing. And, um, that's how it would be. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, that, oh, I don't want to read that she one. Want, she wanted like, me oh. to like read the nice stuff. <laughs> and the give me the yeah. He's give like, I want to read the, the book. Yeah. So you know, I went into it, and it was interesting. The Kitab de Actus is uh, the book uh, that basically Kitab de Actus, which means it's translated to the most holy book. But the first paragraph of that, the the, the beginning, it talks about how in this day and age, um, um. It is the duty of every person to, one, investigate spiritual reality and come to recognize who is the, that divine teacher for that age. And number two, to follow those teachings. And that one without the other is not complete. Previous religions have talked about, for example, generally in Christianity, it's about believing in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's about accepting Christ as the Savior. And um, just accepting Christ saves your soul and that's how you get to heaven so it's a belief islam tends to be a little bit different it's more about action mm -hmm. right accountability and account and doing like when you mm -hmm. do a certain set of things that makes you muslim mm -hmm. the baha'i faith kind of is both says you have to it's it's part of it is the belief and recognition and the other is the action and you can't really separate them yeah, for the for the true. ultimate so it kind of marries about which is which i think has to do it's an evolution again of like what your capacity is and what your, but there's many many books and then Abdul Baha himself wrote a lot about different things. There's a there's um something to talk about um the secret of one is called the secret of divine civilization. It's beautiful. Talks about it's really the the blueprint of how do we make a society in a world that functions at a much higher level than it does currently, that eliminates suppression, eliminates injustice, because justice is huge. Baha'u'llah wrote many, many, many writings about justice. And he says, the best beloved of all things in my sight is justice. So justice is very important in this day and age. Not so much mercy, maybe it was in other ages. Mm -hmm. Mercy is also important, but justice is what we have to achieve at this point. There's a lot of, we yeah. have a lot. We have prayer books. But if you go to those websites, they have links to all the writings, really. So you can them. read them. Because yeah. I think it's important for people to learn mm -hmm. and regardless of whether they end up converting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it, at the very least, if they go into it with the right mindset, it'll help them in their current spirituality. Absolutely. Yep. Or whether they are part of religion or not, because it kind of just changes perspectives. Yes. So I always see things, the, the more 
perspectives I can see something from, I'm going to be able to have um, a greater takeaway. Right. So this is a, this, this is something that I I know I'm excited to learn more about. I'm I'm hoping that everybody listening will. And I'm still learning, by the way. We're still learning every day. Yeah. There's no end. Mm -hmm. It's just learning. It's just continuous. Bahala says, um, immerse yourself in the ocean of my words. I love that imagery of his words, which are his writings and his print that he's brought, are like an ocean. And he doesn't say like, he invites us to immerse ourselves in his words. And he says, so that you may unravel um, the mysteries in its depths. So, wow. Right, isn't that beautiful? So like, jump into that ocean, read, learn, and find the mysteries that are in those writings and those words that we believe is behind the divine words. And And find it. Everybody's going to find find it. it a different way. Yeah, yeah. If so. there was one takeaway or mm-hmm. one one thing, because my original question was going to be, I don't want to ask it because I would okay. rather people list, read the book, okay. the, the book that you mentioned as far as what it would be like. Um, and I'm assuming that's if, if more people embraced a Baha'i, not only way of life, but thinking, mm-hmm. um, what do you think that that would, how do you think that would help society? I think it would tremendously help society. We would be able to have the tools to overcome all the things that divide us. It would unlock human capacity. It would unlock human capacity. All the things that divide us, we could work towards ending. And we would be a unified body. Right? We would have justice, oppression. We would have more socioeconomic health for everybody. Because right now it's extremes. We have extremes of wealth and poverty. Another principle of the Baha'i faith. We need to work towards eliminating the extremes it's not socialism, saying that everyone has the same exact, but those extremes of wealth and poverty have to be eliminated so that everyone has enough and people have more, and that's okay. So wealth is commendable, actually, in the Baha'i faith. Baha'i faith says wealth is commendable, but as long as everyone has like the basics and enough to live a noble <clears throat> life that allows you, gives you the tools to reach your capacity and your family's capacity. So um, I think it'll be a world that no longer has division, is truly unified on the foundations of justice, on the foundation of understanding that we're all one human family. It's just an expansion of the love you have in your family, Mm -hmm. right? The love you might have, many people love their country and have such a devotion. When you see these countries that you're like, wow, they're incredible, that they all, on the street, people will just love each other because they're the same nation. We need to expand that to include the whole planet. You can care about the welfare of others. You are willing to sacrifice your own well-being a little bit to make sure that others are living healthy and well and truly happy lives. It seems so like... So I think it's a beautiful um, future, you know? Living in harmony with our planet. Let's not forget, we are spiritual beings, but we're physical, and this planet is a gift to us. We have to take on some of those indigenous principles that a lot of the indigenous peoples around the world and in this country had this respect of nature, um, taking only what you need, more in harmony. And seeing, so some and, of these climate issues that we're seeing. And seeing can God be, in more than just ourselves as human beings or even in animals, seeing them throughout. The looking tree, at the mountain and, and seeing God, the seeing grand. These are all creations the of God. You know, these are, you know, you go out west or something, and that's that's what's most inspirational to me. You see the big he mountains and the. Montana. Yeah, it looks right. like the moon, but or Mars, you know, it, it, but it's just. It, trigger, it changes the way you, you know, perceive things. And you're like, wow, this is... And your relationship with everything, not so just small. other humans, but it changes the relationship to all of physical existence in the world in a healthier way. That then everyone can live healthy, fulfilling, truly happy lives. Not happy in terms of like uh, pleasure and doing things that are pleasurable to you, but true happiness and, uh, you know. So before we so, wrap it up, I, um, everything you guys are saying... It just seems so common sense approaching. Like, I agree. It seems that, and I believe it's because, going back to the iPhone example, it's updated. Like, not that the language, because it's English, mm-hmm. but the language is more for this time. Yes. The language resonates. Uh, it's very, like, when everything that you guys are saying is like, yeah, that just makes sense. Like, if right. you just ask somebody and people just came with no ulterior motives no you know limited biases mm-hmm. and just said hey how do we fix this mm-hmm. 
this is very much aligned with where I would think we'd right. be going. I, yeah. So it's um, it's this has really been enlightening on a bunch of different levels. I know we I forgot we even started off talking about you know marriage. more so <laughs> just marriage, um, the roles that we play, how to maximize our potential mm -hmm. in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. It's more than just us. Um, it's more than just our immediate family. Mm -hmm. It's community based and there is no finish line. There is no finish line. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's right. And that's the greatest thing about a lot of this. The game doesn't end. No. It's something that we continuously play our role in, uh, contribute how we best can. And at the end of the day, it's going to be a small fraction in all of humanity. Totally. So, but it's an important juncture yeah. we're in. And, and we have to make sure yeah. that we do the most we can yes. right now to set things up moving forward. So yes. that's that's what I my takeaway. I'm going to let you two take us out. Um, and uh, we, we didn't even get into, oh, my God, I feel like I have to throw Another day, plug. another day. Where's your office? Where's your, no, oh. you know, like, but, but, no, no, we'll, no, we'll, we'll, we'll touch fine. on that. This is, these, are, yeah. these are more important, <laughs> yeah. bigger, bigger but, issues. Yeah, yeah. and um, I appreciate you Thank all, you. Uh, you know, just coming um, and being able to have a conversation that is outside of your expertise, mm -hmm. you know, outside mm -hmm. of your professional, I should say, um, not your expertise, outside of your profession, um, because I think you guys have shown a certain level of expertise that like only an expert says I'm continuously learning every day. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? You have to make it to a certain level to understand that. Still yeah, there's a lot it. more for me to learn. Right. So right. I don't want to just associate expertise with, you know, your professional role. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we should all be striving to be the best versions of ourselves in every, every area of our lives. So thank you. Um, thank you both yeah. for being thank here. Thank you. A great yeah. uh, conversation. This was, yeah. I don't even know. I feel like we need like a horn or something. I don't. <laughs> we need a finish line. Yeah, but um, thank, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's great. Thank you. Ah, we here. Big fish shit. Ooh, ooh. Welcome to the podcast. Hope y'all enjoy it. Hope y'all learn something, and most importantly, we hope y'all elevate. Let's get uh -huh. it. Hit a big lick We gon' bet it right back and hit a big flip We been up for a minute and we still lit Yeah, them cats gon' talk but we don't feel shit We just giving y'all gems y'all can live with Elevate your mind, never mind all the bullshit Finna talk about stocks, we ain't worry about ops First get the bread up then buy back the whole block Ten toes down, we ain't never gon' stop I'm a man of my word, I ain't never gon' flop If I said it, then I meant it Real ones gon' respect it and it's still OG It's in me, I represent it Thank you.